Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Well, hello out there to all my After Four people. This is indeed the After Four podcast, and I'm John Steele, bringing you another episode of some sweet alumni goodness or savory alumni goodness, whichever your palate prefers. All that matters is that we're serving it up fresh. Don't worry, there's always plenty for seconds, and they reheat really nicely too, so make sure you take some extra home with you. What are we talking about? I think I started channeling my grandmother there for a second. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, friends, it's still Lent, so I'm going to keep reminding you, if you haven't yet listened to our episode about Lent or subscribe to our Lent substack, then in the words of the one and only Michael Scott, you should go do that ASAP as possible. Those are some quality resources to help you understand and engage with Lent. That substack in particular is fantastic. Every day there's a new entry with some thoughtful reflection questions at the end to help guide your Lenten practices this year. Check those out and pass them along to your friends as well. All right, let's get this new alumni interview rolling. Today we're chatting with Esther, a 2017 alumna from the University of Minnesota Duluth. Esther is a physician assistant in Duluth, Minnesota, and I learned a lot from Esther about the life and experiences of someone in the healthcare community. We talked about her time working in the ER, about her love for incorporating a relational approach with the people in her care as a PA, and about how she's met with Jesus even in the midst of death and mourning in her work. This was such a great conversation. I'm really excited to share it with you today. So without any further ado, here is Esther. Enjoy. Well, hello, Esther. Hi, John. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you. It's fun to be here. So where are you uh, calling in from today? I'm currently in Duluth, Minnesota. Duluth. Okay. Very nice. I'm also in Minnesota down in Mankato. How long have you lived in Duluth now? We've been here since the very end of November. We originally went to undergrad here. We felt like we were going to end up here again, but not this soon. So it's fun to be back. Were you a student during the Luke Olson era of UMD? All right. Very nice. Luke is a very good friend of mine. What were the actual years that you were there? When did you graduate? I was there from fall of 2014 to spring of 2017. And what did you study while you were there? I was studying biology and chemistry. And that kind of makes sense given what you're doing today. Tell us what it is that you're doing today. Most of the prereqs for PA school were wrapped up in a biology and chemistry major. So then I pursued PA school and I'm working currently as a physician assistant in OBGYN. I'm excited to hear lots of stories about what life has been like post-graduation, but let's hang out in the early days. How was it that you came to be a part of InterVarsity during your college career? My first year of college, I was actually at Bethel University. Around springtime at Bethel, I knew I wanted to switch and go to UMD because I wanted to pursue a biology major. So that summer, my dad and I actually went on a backpacking trip. And I think in anticipation for going to a secular school and moving and not having as many connections, he told me a little bit about his faith story and his time actually as a student at UMD. And he was part of InterVarsity then as well. And so he's like, 
this is an awesome organization. I think you should totally get plugged in. They're probably going to throw like a root beer bash or something the first night, which is what they did when he was a student. And that's exactly what happened when I showed up. So I went to a root beer bash and started getting plugged in that way. And I just stuck around. As you think about your time with InterVarsity and the friends that you made in that space, are there any particular stories that stand out to you? I feel like there's a lot of little things like little coffee dates, little lunch dates, meetings where I continue to build relationships with different people in our chapter. I have a lot of really good friends in college. One of them I was able to room with too. And I just remember moments that we had dealing with either conflict resolution or you know, different major events going on in our lives. Those are skills that she taught me because she cared a lot about our relationship and it grew because of that. And so I think those are moments that I really cherish. Obviously big things like saying yes and doing IVLI, the Leadership Institute. I feel like an overarching theme during that was learning what it means to be obedient and listening to the Lord and trusting him in his decisions. I was asking the Lord if he would answer me in these big life questions that I had in the time. But through that time of prayer, I realized that I was hardened to the idea of what if God says no to these things and I'm not okay with that. And then realizing that that was like, no, this isn't even a matter of which direction we're going with life. This is a matter of you not having an obedient heart. And that was really huge for me. Wow. Those are some challenging words, I think, for just about anybody in our culture, you know, a culture that lives to be independent and to say, I know what's best for my life and I'm going to pursue that for us to be able to sit back and say, actually, there might be somebody else who knows what's better for me and the people around me. And that might involve telling me no for some of the things that I really want to do. And me saying, (laughs) yeah, exactly. We don't like being told no. Uh, Man, can you imagine a God who might tell you no and to say, I'm willing to follow that God. Yeah, but knowing that that's going to be good. Yes. Let's keep moving forward in your university career here. You have all of these experiences with simple coffee dates with people, learning how to have quality relationships with your roommate, going to things like the InterVarsity Leadership Institute, every one of those things moving you closer and closer to graduation day. As you were approaching graduation, what were you saying? I feel pretty confident that this is what my life is going to look like once I leave this campus. I was expecting to go to PA school. That had been my plan for most of undergraduate, working towards getting my patient care experience hours so that I could be competitive in applying to PA school. So I got a job working in an ER and I was a little bit nervous actually, because I had always, I thought I wanted to work in healthcare. I thought I wanted to be a PA. I had shadowed a lot of PAs at that point. So I was pretty confident that that's what I wanted to do, but I'd never actually worked in healthcare. So it was really reassuring once I was actually like physically working in healthcare to be like, yeah, I love this. This is yeah. awesome. Now that's interesting to me because being somebody that's not in the healthcare world whatsoever, I have particular maybe stereotypes and assumptions about the emergency room. Maybe I've watched too many, you know, <laughs> medical dramas or whatever. So that's interesting to me to hear that that was a place that affirmed your excitement about being a part of the medical and healthcare community and not something you're like, oh man, what have I got myself into? Can you talk just a little bit about what doing these hours in an emergency room was like for you? I originally applied to a bunch of different places in the hospital and I didn't plan to work in the ER. That wasn't something I was particularly interested in, but looking back, I'm so glad that that's where I ended up because it felt very me and it was very awesome to like be in that environment learning there. I originally started as a patient care assistant and then through my time there, they trained us to be a patient care extender, which functions similarly as like an ER tech and other ERs. It was a huge team. So I was able to work with a lot of different people coming from a lot of different backgrounds. And I love that aspect. I've always been very team oriented. Um, it was a very fast, it was busy ER, so it was a very fast paced environment. I feel like I learned a ton very fast. Small things to like minor like scrapes, bumps, bone breaks to very, very large things like heart attacks, strokes. I worked on the trauma team. We rotated 
it was really fun to like be part of different patients care, but there was obviously stuff that was like very difficult and that took me a long time to process through. But I think part of working in the ER is you do well if you are able to manage your time, obviously, and you don't have the emotional capacity to be able to like mourn and process everything that you encounter typically in an ER that's that busy, but there's some things that require that you do that and take pause for. I started to realize how averse our culture is to death and how oh, that's interesting. so, yeah, because there was several deaths that I was part of and I felt very awkward if people like asked how my day was. I felt like there was this huge thing that happened in my life that I was processing, but I wasn't able to share that without it being really awkward or that wasn't welcomed. And so I think through that time, I was able to like learn how to care for patients well, even in the midst of death. I felt like that was part of my role, caring for patients while they're living and also helping them to have a good death too. This is the role I'm playing in this point in their life. So would you say that, did you grow in your skill to compartmentalize and say, this traumatic thing has happened. I'm going to put that on a shelf and I'm going to live into this other patient's experience so I can be present with them. Or was it something more like, I'm going to live in the reality of this very serious thing that's happened. And that's going to drive my compassion for the people that I'm interacting with here. I think it's both. I think in like certain moments, it was like, this is crazy or I can't believe this just happened. Or this was really terrible, but just for the sake of caring for other patients well and being short or whatever the scenario was, there was a degree of having to compartmentalize. But also I think it's so important that we do let those hard experiences shape who we are, especially in medicine, because I think that compels us to be more compassionate and empathetic towards our patients and more human. And I think that makes you a better provider at the end of the day and is so important. Okay. So then you get your hours in this ER and then that makes you a better candidate for PA school and you do eventually get into PA school. Let's pick up there. Tell me what this experience was like for you. I got into PA school, was kind of blown away because I was expecting to have to apply a few cycles before I could get in. My expectations for PA school was that it's going to be really hard because that's what everybody said. And it was both harder than I thought it would be and not as hard as I thought it would be. I know that's not a very good answer, but I think I was surprised at how much time that I still had to be human. You always get to make choices with your time. And so I think having the mindset of being like, okay, I have a little bit of time now. I need to go on a walk with my husband or I need to go to the pool or do something to still feel like a human <laughs> was really important. Work can't be everything. And so practicing that like during school too was really helpful, but it was definitely the hardest thing I've ever done. I didn't expect how much I would have to study and like sit down and say no to things was really hard for me because I'm very relationships are really important to me. And so I wasn't able to spend the time as much as I had would have liked to and typically had done with friends and family. So that was hard to say no, but it was also like, this is something I care a lot about and I'm studying for like my future patients and like to do well and understand the information. So in, in that regard too, it's probably the loneliest I've ever felt, but it was also equally so good for my husband and I, we spent a ton of time together. So I was just really grateful for how the Lord sustained and protected our marriage in that time. And we grew closer. It was also really great because this was the first time I had normal-ish hours was during didactic year. So I wasn't working any weekends. We went to church every Sunday and we were able to be part of a small group and go to all of them. That was just such a huge gift for us. And we were able to see the beauty of what the church can be. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So just to review our timeline really quickly here, you said you graduated in 2017 and then two years in the ER. So you wrapped up there spring of 2019 and then go to PA school and you have your first year. So is my math correct that you start your second year right around the time that pandemic is hitting? Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> so March 2020 was almost towards the end of our didactic year. So we were totally online for like two months and didn't come back in person until we had procedures lab right before we started our rotations. That was June 2020. My word, what a crash course. It would seem to me June of 2020 is also the time that we were entering summer and thinking, okay, maybe this is going to be short lived. And then you start these rotations and it's like, oh no, this is actually going to be sticking around for a while. I mean, are there things that you think you've been particularly prepared for or ways that you've been trained that has prepped you for your career as a PA in ways that you wouldn't have been prepared if it wasn't all happening in the midst of a pandemic? I don't know if this is because of the pandemic or this would have kind of developed at the same time as is, but I feel like I've grown a lot in being really passionate about making sure that patients are able to make their own decisions with informed consent. Because I feel like that's been in the midst of, you know, worry about like the vaccine or treatments for COVID or even just regularly seeing their provider for whatever prevention they may need. But how important accurate medical information is in helping to best support patients with having access to correct information, understanding the information so that they can make a truly informed decision. Because at the end of the day, we're not making their decisions. I believe our role is to provide them with correct information and then supporting them in what route they go, I guess. When my wife and I had our first child. That was a new experience for me. We had a nurse that was with us through most of that time. And she would say over and over and over again, it's my job to be your advocate. It's my job to make sure that you have all the information that you need so that you can make the right decisions. And you can listen to what the doctors have to say, but ultimately you get to say yes or no. Part of it's probably just my personality that I just think like, well, somebody that's an authority, they know more than me. They're an expert in this field and I should just do what they tell me. And that was a really interesting place to be as far as like, oh, no, I get the final say in whether or not this treatment happens for me. Yeah, for sure. I really think that that's better. And I like encouraging patients to play more of an active role because then I really think that patients take ownership over their health and they care more about it. And ultimately, that's what I want to see. That feels like a very nice approach for me to take next time I'm in the hospital or someone I know is in the hospital of like, okay, let's let's work on this together, medical yeah. team. <laughs> yeah, ask all the questions. It's your healthcare, And so you should be comfortable with what's going on. So as you're going through the second year of your program and then eventually graduating, and now you are a PA, tell me what have some of your experiences been either like this is something particularly challenging that happened, or this is something that was unexpectedly joyful that I got to experience. So I'm currently working as a PA in women's health. So I'm caring for patients in clinic, and then I'm also helping manage patients in labor in the birthing center and attending deliveries. So I've been told from a lot of people that start as brand new providers that there's a lot of imposter syndrome. So I definitely experienced that too. And I can't believe I'm trained to do this or I'm prescribing this and people are like seeing me for their care. But also it's just been so good because the team that I'm working on with physicians and other APCs are phenomenally supportive. And I just, I love the roles that PAs get to play because teamwork is part of the definition. And so I'm just glad that healthcare is a team. The moments that are my favorite are the times when I get to get to know someone and provide them with education about their disease process or, you know, why we do cancer screenings or how to do disease prevention well. And then also it's such a huge honor to be able to care for women while they're laboring. And then when they're able to like give birth to their baby, I love being able to celebrate them and support them through that process too. It sounds like it's a very relational role that you see having with these people and getting to walk alongside of them, whether it's making a plan for treatment or just right there in the room as they're giving birth to this child, that relational component is something that is That's a incredibly huge drive important for me. to you. Yeah, absolutely. 
I'm not sure exactly what my idea was starting PA rotations. I always knew I wanted to do women's health. I didn't know in what setting, but starting off in like clinic roles, I was like, this is it. I love being in clinic because that's where I get to start relationships with patients and I get to see them over a period of time again and again. And I love that. And those have been some of my favorite moments too, is when I'm admitting women for labor and I get to walk with them through all of their labor and be there for their delivery is really sweet to be able to care for them in that way. Are these also women that you've been seeing through pregnancy checkups? You've gotten to like see them and their baby grow together up to this point, you've gotten to walk a huge, significant part of life with them. Yeah, it's so fun. I love doing that. I've been working in my role for less than a year now, but excited the longer I'm there, being able to care for more women and seeing them at their very first prenatal to the end of their pregnancy is really great. My wife and I, we have a daughter and my wife is pregnant with our second daughter right now. And so it's been really awesome to have our same doctor for both of these children to go to those appointments and just building a relationship with this doctor and how meaningful that is being able to build trust with somebody. You've been here for us and we can confide in you. We can ask you these hard questions. That's helpful for me to get to identify in some way with some of the things that you're experiencing on the other side of that. And so I can say as a husband and father, I very much appreciated those kinds of relationships that I've gotten to have. That consistency is huge for feeling safe and feeling like, all right, we're making progress towards a goal here together. Yeah. The continuity is huge. And it's fun because as a patient, I love that. And it's fun because as a provider, we love it too. (laughs) That's really nice to hear. And it's interesting as we're talking here, I'm thinking back to something we talked about at the very beginning, you saying how important some of these consistent coffee shop conversations were that you were having with other chapter members or with staff learning how to have a good relationship and work through challenges with your roommate and like how intentional the both of you were in those places. It's just interesting to see these values that you were talking about this as a freshman in college and here you are now, this is still the stuff that you're talking about that you really value and is important to you. It's just cool to see that kind of consistency over the course of your life. And I love being able to work somewhere where I want to keep seeing people versus on the ER. I'm like, I do want to see you again, but also I don't because that means another emergency. So please don't (laughs) come back. (laughs) Yes, yes, totally. Okay, so I think that people in the medical community are very uniquely positioned to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So often we see Jesus hanging out with people that are sick, that have something going on with them that they want to see fixed and that there is this kind of relational, like that he really cares for those people. And I think the work that you do and other people in the medical community do is so obviously parallel to the stuff that Jesus did in his ministry on earth. I think that's really cool. And so I wonder for you, are there ways that you've seen, like, this is a place where I feel like I've gotten to be the hands and feet of Jesus or where I've gotten to live out my faith very intentionally or have conversations that I wouldn't have gotten to have in other places. Yeah. Are there places where you've gotten to really just live into your faith in the midst of the work that you're doing? I remember times where patients have asked, you know, they might be a little bit religious or not at all, or wherever they kind of fall in their spiritual background, asking me to pray for them. I remember there was a patient specifically who she was an inpatient, meaning that she was staying in the hospital for medical care. And just because of my name, she was like, are you a Christian? And I was like, yes. And she's like, I've been specifically praying that I would be surrounded by other Christians for my care team. Every time interacting with her, that was just like some of my favorite memories. I just remember one time before treatment, she was just super nervous and she just like burst into tears and seeing me was like, Esther, I need prayer. And that was just really impactful in the ways that the Lord's presence was very heavy in that moment. And just so tangible of like, he's truly in everything we do and in every corner. And I think even though we're in places that seem scary and foreign to us, like a hospital room or maybe the operating room, God is still there and he's still God over those spaces. 
And so I think those have been some of my sweetest moments of being able to sit down and pray with patients in the middle of your grieving. What do you do in those places when you're like, man, God, I feel like you didn't come through in this situation the way that I really expected you to or hoped that you would. I think that's hard too, because, because you have those hard losses or those hard moments where you're like, what's going to keep you coming back. And I think that kind of goes back to when I was talking about when I was dealing with a lot more deaths at my like previous job, but knowing that this is a reality here on earth is that death and loss is a part of it. And understanding that God is still good in the midst of like our suffering I think continuing to talk with and stand by those patients or the family members and offering as much information that's helpful, but also just sitting in the quietness and crying with them, I think is really helpful and still, you know, showing that you're human and that it hurts too. I am grateful for the times that have been hard in retrospect and being able to walk through that suffering because it's been in those moments where I'm seeing Jesus differently and I see the need for Jesus so much more tangibly where it's hit me yeah, like really hard. Certain losses have been very hard, but it's, you know, just, it's so, it's been really sweet that the Holy Spirit's like put on my heart that this is not how it was supposed to be. And that wasn't the original design. And how sweet it really is. Jesus came down and is redeeming that. And then that's not going to be the final say. And, and once again, how cool that he's, picked you to be a part of that work in such a real way that you get to be a part of, I think, so much his redeeming work. Being a faithful follower of Jesus who is actively engaging with these people, who is speaking hope and life, and who's mourning alongside of them. Like I said, I think you get to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a really unique and amazing way as he reminds you of his original intentions and where he's going to bring things back to again, that you, in subtle ways and in very overt ways, get to share those things with the people that you work with, maybe especially in the midst of significant losses. Thanks for sharing that, Esther. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's <laughs> very, very real and hard realities to live into on a regular basis. As you think about your time in InterVarsity, as you think about the life that you're living right now, are there places that you feel like your time with InterVarsity really helped prepare you well? Definitely. I actually think about this a lot and especially like professional sense and then like relational too. Some of the big things I'm really grateful for are working on conflict resolution well and the need for conflict resolution and not avoiding problems, but seeing how that grows relationships and builds trust. And I think another big thing is learning how to work well with other people, especially leading other people that are very different than you. They communicate differently. They feel cared for differently. They're motivated by different things. I think that's been really helpful and recognizing too, that not everybody functions the same as you. You work well with your team when you know your team. And so put time into that. A couple of things that stand out to me that you just said. One is being able to step into conflict well and to work through differences. We live in a world where it feels like the message is, if you disagree with me, then we can have nothing to do with each other. And so that's just the way that we're meant to be. Being able to have those skills of saying, no, we're different. Sometimes it's frustrating, but it's also okay. It's good for us to be different. Can we learn how to not only coexist or work in the same space, but to actually be friendly and have real relationships with each other, which leads into another thing you said that's 
stood out to me, which is put in the time and effort with your teammates. The attached garage society that we live in, just push the button, drive your car in, close the door, and then just walk immediately into your house and never have to see anybody that that translates into our work as well of like, I'm just going to get in here. I'm going to get my work done. I'm going to get out and try not to annoy other people or be annoyed by them. And let's just stay out of each other's way. And that, man, how important it is to put in the time with your team, even in the midst of awkwardness and disagreement, that it just makes your work so much more enjoyable. I love working on good teams. And it has an impact on the people that you serve outside of your team as well. Like they can tell when you are enjoying one another or when you're just like, nope, I want nothing to do with you. Yeah, especially in healthcare. Do you have any words of advice that you would give to people that are approaching graduation and are looking towards this big new stage of life that's coming afterward? Yeah, I think something that's been so huge for me and my husband is pursuing the community that we're part of, that we're like living in. I feel like I hear a lot of people are like, I want to get to know my neighbors or I want to be involved with church. And we're like, yeah, I want that too. So I would super awkwardly walk up and knock on my neighbor's doors and now we're (laughs) friends. So I think just being like very intentional with your relationships, being intentional with church and showing up, um, even though it's awkward in the beginning, that's how relationships start. And knowing that you go through a lot of different seasons and hardships, but that I think in like in those seasons, I'm very grateful for the differences because in those seasons, I'm able to learn different aspects of who the Lord is in his heart too. So I think that's really good. Do you have any word for somebody that's preparing to step into healthcare, the medical world, things that you've experienced up to this point that might give them a nice leg up if that's where they're going as well? I think it'd be really helpful to find a mentor, find a community that you can be yourself with and that you can share honestly kind of what's going on in your mind, stuff that's awesome that it's like we're celebrating with a group of people and things that are also really hard so that you have that team to lean on. I think that's the biggest thing. Esther, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been so much fun and it's always nice to talk to a UMD alum. So thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was a ton of fun. I think our alumni have some fascinating life experiences that have filled them with incredibly useful insights. But I have to say, I especially love walking away with practical advice that I can put to good use today. Esther's thoughts about putting in the time with your team or your coworkers is pure gold. You're going to be rubbing shoulders with these people all the time, passing each other in the hallways, working on projects together, going to conferences. I mean, at some point, most of us are going to have to go back to working in the office again. What other reason could you possibly need to work on a healthy team dynamic that can resolve conflict together than going back to sharing a bathroom with each other all the time? For real though, get to know your teammates and coworkers. It makes a huge difference and even might make the job you're struggling through more enjoyable with a friend or two around. Put in the time. Thanks, Esther. I loved getting to hang out. Blessings on your work and thanks for using your position as a PA to impact lives in a meaningful way. You are being a world changer. Well, that time has come once again, my friends. We've reached the end of another episode, but fear not, we will be back again next week. And we will be joined by University of Rhode Island alumnus Steve Carroll. We talked about so many things, but Steve had some particularly great words about identity. Who are you after college? What do you care about? How do you spend your time? And what does that communicate about your values? It's going to be great, so don't miss it. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform, turn on notifications, and share with all your alumni besties. And between now and then, don't forget to go back and listen to our Lent episode and subscribe to the Lent Substack. 
You can find a link to sign up for that in our show notes. All right, until next week, I'll see you in the after, alumni. <laughs>